Let's all stand together. Did I overwhelm you already? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. All right, check this out. This is, this is amazing, all right? It's really daunting as a teacher to teach these verses because, man, they're profound. And I'm going to read it. We're going to go back and reread it together. <clears throat> the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? <clears throat> and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Somebody say amen to that today. <clears throat> okay, let's go back. Verse 1, we'll read it all together. Ready? One, two, three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Father, thank you so much. God, thank you so much today for this very clear and precise and powerful revelation of your son. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our eyes of understanding and the knowledge of him. Father, we can gain more information, but today we're asking for divine revelation. God, we're giving you our ears, we're giving you our hearts, we're giving you our minds, and we're asking God, show us the Son. Show us the Son. God, show us something we've never seen before. God, reveal his beauty to us. God, cause this moment to be in your scripture, to be so filled with your presence that we would be compelled to a place of awe and worship. And God, that we would be compelled to a, a greater expression of surrender and love for our Savior is worthy. We love you, God, and we're so thankful that you love us. We consecrate these moments with you and we ask that you would teach us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. <clears throat> well, over the summer, uh, my Instagram got spoofed. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but, but, but someone created a fake Instagram account posing to, me, to be posing as me. And, you know, for me, it was like, why would you waste your time on me? I mean, someone really has a lot of time on their hands because, you know, I can think of probably a million other people that would have been better to spoof. But, but it was really an interesting thing to kind of experience. You know, this person had very uh, carefully take it, taken a lot of stuff off of my Instagram account and then crafted uh, a false account by taking my content off of my account and putting it on his account. And I mean, it was really hard. It was so well done. It was meticulously done. This clearly took a lot of time. A lot of effort was put into it. And you know, you really couldn't tell the difference between the two ac accounts until he did something that, you know, alerted everybody. He asked for money. And so I, all of a sudden, right, I get all these text messages and 
and I'm getting emails and I'm getting posts on my Instagram and Facebook, hey, uh, we think someone has spoofed your account because we know, Pastor, you just don't do that, right? You're, you're, just, you're, you're just not asking for money like this. And so uh, we nipped it in the bud and uh, we went through the process of kind of addressing and, and dealing with that uh, situation. And just to say, it happens all the time. Right, it happens all the time. People's, people's accounts are regularly being spoofed. I mean, identity theft is something that we all, uh, unfortunately, have to deal with. And you know it is just so deceptive because you have this idea, right, that you're connecting with this individual, this person, you know, and that you're encountering this individual and you're gonna get everything that you want from them because it is actually the individual that you want to connect with. And the reality is, it's not that individual, it's a false individual, and probably what's gonna happen along the way is you're going to get ripped off. Uh, this is why there's such, a, there's such a, an intense process for verifying social media accounts, like Instagram obviously has a verify badge, or you know on your phone there's facial recognition, or you might have a, a thumbprint uh, as a way of identifying yourself, or maybe you, you know, you're signing into uh, your bank, you're getting asked questions that only you would know because you have to verify, you have to verify your identity. And in some ways, this is exactly what John was dealing with when he wrote this gospel account. There had been over 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, false versions of Jesus that began to circulate in the church. Um, these false teachings were known as deceticism and Gnosticism. I'm not going to go into what those things were in specific today. Uh, but they had perverted the person of Christ. They had created an al alternative identity. And people would be thinking that they were connecting to the real Jesus, but the reality was they had so reshaped him that he was no longer the real Jesus and they were no, no longer getting everything that Christ brings into a life. And so in some ways, John's point in writing this gospel account was to set the record straight, to verify who the real Jesus was. Because I think John knew the stakes were high. He knew that if someone really wanted to have a relationship with God, it was gonna only happen through the real Jesus. If someone really wanted a taste of the living waters and eternal life and abundant life, it was only going to happen through the real Jesus. A, a false version of Christ would never be able to bring that. If someone wanted the forgiveness of sins or to experience the kingdom of heaven, it had to be through an encounter with the real Jesus Christ. And the same can be said today. We may not be dealing with deceticism or Gnosticism, but there are all sorts of religions and philosophies and ideologies that have perverted who the real Jesus is. I think about Islam's version of Jesus, or Mormonism's version of Jesus, or the Jehovah Witnesses' version of Jesus, or the liberal church's version of Jesus, where he's just a, a good person who is a good example to follow, or the neo-atheist who doesn't really necessarily believe in the historical Jesus at all. And then maybe even the, the biggest category is people just making up their own Jesus. I mean, it might not be Islam, it might not be Mormonism, it might not be the neo-atheist, it might just be the idea that, hey, you can, you can just make up whatever you want. And so some people do that. They're like, yeah, you know, I accept that he's most likely a historical figure, and, and I would say, you, you know, and you'll get this when you talk to people, I would say Jesus, you know, was a good person. 
he was a good person, and I think he probably gave a, a good, he was a good model to emulate. Some people would say, well, no, I think he was more than that. He was probably, you know, one of the great religious leaders. Like if you were to rank all the religious leaders, he's probably sitting there at the top along with Buddha and maybe along with Mohammed and maybe along with Zoroaster or whatever the persuasion might be. And so some people would say, well, no, he was more than just a model to follow. You know, he's probably one of the good religious individuals that we should look up to. And then maybe even more prevalent in American society is this. Well, you know, he's just someone to be admired. You know, he's someone to be respected. And all of those versions of Jesus fall short. They fall short. I don't think that this gospel account was written just to be a defense against false views of Jesus. I think this gospel account was written to be an invitation to us to discover and encounter the real Jesus Christ in everything that he brings to us. Amen? Amen. In fact, in fact, that's exactly what John says in John chapter 20, verse 30. At the very end of the gospel account, John gets to ultimately the reason why he wrote his gospel account. And, and just keep this in mind. Uh, this is the final gospel account of the four accounts that were written. John takes a different tact. Three gospel accounts had already been circulating, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were being read among the people of God and the churches throughout the world. And yet John, there was something that was unique and distinct upon John's heart where he felt like another account needed to be written. And this was why he wrote it. The Bible says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he is the one chosen by God to redeem humanity, not only that, but he is the son of God, and that, check this out, so we've identified who he is, and then we're able to believe in that and receive everything that comes with him, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is why John wrote this gospel account. Look, if we go through the next 35 weeks and you don't get that, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. The whole purpose of John's writing is so that we would know that Yeshua is Messiah, Mashiach, that he is the son of God. And it's interesting that John takes a different tact. This is not a synoptic gospel. So a synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke provide a synopsis. Shocker there for you, I know, like that's mind-blowing. It's a synopsis, a chronological perspective of the life of Christ, whereas John's gospel account is written around eight signs that Jesus performed or worked and eight sayings that Jesus said there are eight things that Jesus did, eight signs that point to the reality that he is the son of God, eight things only the son of God could do. You know, he turned water to wine, he raised Lazarus from the dead, he healed the nobleman's son, and then in addition to that, there are eight sayings that Jesus said that only the son of God could say, and the equation of the saying typically starts with I am. He said, I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the dead. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live forever. Like those are exclusive things that only the Son of God could say. And so what John does is he masterfully 
inspired by the Spirit of God, he shapes his gospel account around those eight signs and eight sayings. And it all kicks off with this killer prologue. This killer prologue. Verses 1 to 5, from my point of view, are some of the most profound words in all of the Bible. And what he does right out of the gate is he gives us six identity authenticators so that we would be able to verify who the real Jesus is. As you look at these six things today, you'll, some of you might be challenged. Like Sam was leading us in that song uh, that the team wrote together. Sometimes you know we have, a, we have our own version of Jesus and maybe it's built on our own preferences or you know, our own comforts or what we want him to bring to us. Maybe today you've grown up uh, in a family that has taught you something about Jesus that's just not accurate. Maybe today you have been, belonged to uh, another religion, and so today that framework in your life is going to be shaken as the scripture begins with these powerful words, in the beginning. In the beginning. You, you guys, of course, your attention is immediately drawn back to what? The book of Genesis. How does the whole Bible begin? The Bible begins with those words, in the beginning, and this is where pastors give like the old joke. Do you guys know the old joke? It's so old and pathetic, I hesitate to say it today. But did you guys know that, you guys know that God's a, a baseball fan, right? Because the Bible begins with, in the big inning. <laughs> right, I mean, isn't that bad? It's not my joke, it's not my joke. I just wanted a moment of mutual hate for that joke, which, 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 we've all, which we've all expressed. Um, and of course, listen, it's so much more, right? John harkens back to, to Genesis. And I think that he does for three reasons. Number one, in his mind, this is like a Genesis event. He's connecting it to creation because creation has a descriptive parallel to this beautiful moment where the Son of God, the Word of God, was incarnate, became flesh, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God. There's a descriptive parallel in the giving of the Son to the moment of creation. The Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And then, and then the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. Let there be light. Light be and light was. And so, man, it was a beautiful cataclysmic moment where there was this absolute darkness and void that God had created. And then all of a sudden, through the spoken word of God, there was this unleashing of his dynamic light. And I think John is saying, hey, this moment that I'm talking about in this first chapter is just as if not more dynamic that the Son of God, the eternal Word of God, who lived in eternity past with God the Father, was incarnate, the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He came in total darkness, and through him, light was unleashed. It was a beautiful, cataclysmic event, and the world has never been the same since. I think there's that descriptive parallel. I think in addition to that, there's, there's this uh, perspective of ultimate fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment, like this is the culmination of the plan of God from the very beginning. And well, let me tell you why I think this is important, because sometimes 
uh, as a predominantly Gentile church, sometimes we are New Testament-only believers, and we disconnect ourselves from the Old Testament, and we forget, sometimes we forget the greater narrative, the greater story that God has been writing. And so I think John, what he does here is he connects it all the way back. He connects, connects us all the way back to the very beginning. You know, there was a garden, a perfect garden. Adam and Eve were paid, placed in that garden. They were commanded to enjoy of every tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they transgressed and they fell and they were disconnected from God. And then we have the story from Genesis 3 in our scripture all the way to the end, to Malachi, of God redeeming humanity and pulling humanity back to his divine purpose that we, we would be image bearers predominantly through the nation of Israel and the covenant relationship that he had with Israel, all the while waiting until that moment would come where he would send his son, who was the ultimate fulfillment. I, I, I would just say to you today, like you have to have this perspective that the angels were waiting for this moment. The angels of God were waiting for this moment. Creation itself was waiting for this moment, and we know that's the case because Jesus, at the triumphal entry, as the Pharisees were saying, hey, you need to tone your disciples down. They can't be like saying these messianic psalms are about you. He said, listen, if they shut up, even the rocks will cry out because all of creation has waited for this moment, the, waiting for the moment of the coming of the Son of God, the one who really is. And then the third reason why I think he connects it all the way back to the beginning is he is going to establish that Christ was not just a mere man. Christ was not just another good teacher among many good teachers. Christ, like the Baha'i faith, is not just one of many religious lights that points us ultimately to God, whoever their God is. He, in fact, is the eternal God. And so this is what the Bible says. In the beginning was the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god in the beginning this is what he establishes john this is by the way identity authenticator number one jesus is eternal he is eternal the bible says in the beginning was the word other gospel accounts start with Jesus' human lineage, whereas John travels back before time itself to identify Christ as the eternal God. Uh, yes. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. I like to think about it in these terms as a double negative, and so if you don't like double negatives, I don't care because it just, it just sounds right. There was never a time when he was not. There was never a time when he was not. He always, he always has been. In Hebrews chapter one, the author of that particular book, writing to Jews who had put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. Now these particular believers were beginning to drift away from Christianity because there was persecution as they were identifying with Jesus and they were drifting back into Old Testament Judaism. And so right off the bat, right out of the gate, the author establishes the deity of the Son of God. 
And he says this, this is the Father speaking of the Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And then what he does And then what he does as he lays the table of the deity of Jesus Christ, he proves that Christ is greater than angels, Christ is greater than Moses, Christ is greater than the high priest, Aaron, and the New Testament that Christ Christ ushered in is better than the old covenant. No, make no mistake about it today, Jesus transcends time. And that not only means that he is ageless, it also means that he is totally self-sufficient. He is totally self-sufficient. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in eternity past were fully satisfied in their mutual relationship with one another. I say that to you today to remind you that you don't bring anything that God needs to the table. Because God has no need. God is the all-sufficient one. God is fully satisfied, like I said, in the mutual relationship, the mutual loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and let me tell you why this is good news. God loves you because he's, he's love. God doesn't need your performance. God doesn't love you because you're lovely. And you're lovely today. God doesn't, God doesn't love you because of what you bring to the table. It's not as if, you know, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ that God finally said, man, that's the one I've needed. That's the one, now I can can be about the business. Now I can get the job done because finally they have fulfilled a need that I've had. Whenever somebody says to me, you know what God needs from you? I'm like, stop, just stop, stop. You really, really, Is, is, is your God so insufficient? Is your God so weak? Is your God so codependent that he can't do what he needs to do without you? If that's your God, I'll tell you right now, he is not worth worshiping. He's not worth worshiping. No, the, the fact is this. You and I are not on some performance cycle. What, what, what we do is we rest in the love of God because he loves us. We rest in it because he loves us because he is love. He is love. You say, well, what do I do then? How do I respond to all the good things that God has done in my life? Well, the psalmist said in 116.12, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me Right, this is what the psalmist is saying. What can I do? God's been so good. How do I respond? Answer, I will lift, I will take up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That was the answer. The answer is this, man, you you wanna bless the heart of God, receive the blessings he has for you today. Stop saying no to the blessings of God and start saying yes. Identity authenticator number two, Uh, In the beginning was the word, was the word. Jesus is the word. He is uh, the logos. Remember, in the original language, the word logos is the Greek word that we translate into the English word, word. And I think, honestly, when I read this, I'm like, why? Why did John do this? Why didn't John just say, in the beginning was, was the Christ? Why didn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? And the argument against That last one would be, well, that would be kind of referring to the finite human aspect of Christ, and it might diminish his eternality. 
But why did John choose the word logos to identify and to uh, reflect Jesus Christ? Some people say, well, it was because John was trying to relate to the Stoicism of the day. Like the predominant Greek philosophy during John's uh, era was Stoicism. And this was what they believed. They believed the Logos was the ultimate rational principle. They believed that the Logos was ultimate wisdom. They believed that God, whoever that God was, expressed who he was through the Logos, through the word, and so all that could be known about God came through the logos. And so some say, well, John is writing so that he can build a bridge to the, to the people who have been exposed to Greek philosophy. Others say, well, no, I mean, Philo, who was a, a Jewish philosopher, uh, he said the logos was the perfect man or the model man, the one that we should emulate our, our life after. And so some people say, well, John chose the word logos because that's what Jesus is. He is, he is the model human being. He is the one that we should um, really emulate and comport our life after. So they would say, well, John's just really appropriating the terms of the time to identify Christ in ways that the people would understand, in relevant ways. There's another option. I mean, those are, those are reasonable options. Another option was put forward by a New Testament scholar named T.A. Carson. And this is what he said. He said, and I'll explain this in, in, in just a minute. He said, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, deliverance, and salvation. The personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. What is he saying? He's saying, well, most likely what John is doing is he's looking back to the Old Testament when God spoke. In those moments where God spoke, there were supernatural and powerful things that happened. Creation was made through the spoken word of God. Revelation was given through the prophets as they spoke on behalf of God. There was deliverance. There was salvation for the people of God. And so maybe what John is doing is he's looking back to those times when God spoke and all those things that happened through the spoken word of God. And now he's just bringing that all together and saying all those things are ultimately, they are ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who is the supreme self-disclosure of the Father who is the ultimate revelation of God, who is the one who brought divine deliverance, who is the savior that brings salvation. He is the one who has unopposable power and he is the one in whom has been committed the authority to judge the living and the dead. He is the ultimate expression of the love of God. He is the logos. He is the word. If you want to know the Father, all you have to do is look at the Son. In fact, the author to the book of Hebrews again said this when he began his epistle. He says, he says hey, y'all know. This is my version, all right? This is like, <laughs> like one step past the message. Hey, you all know. Y'all know how it goes. God in various times and in various ways spoke in times past through the prophets, but now has in these last days spoken to us by his own son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, 
the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power, the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Man, what a powerful portion of scripture. And you know, in that center section, this is what the author conveys, that the son is the brightness of the glory of the father and the express image of his person. He is the word, he is the logos, he is the revelation of the father. He was also with God and was God, identity Authenticator number three, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Hey, let's just handle the first part. He was eternally with the father. The son was eternally with the father. The preposition with is a fascinating preposition. It means to be next to. Uh, it means to be face to face. It carries the implication of perfect harmony and unity. Oftentimes, it's used to describe companionship. So we're not just talking about a geographical location, we're talking about the character of God and the heart of God. The Son was eternally with the Father. This is why Jesus said to his disciples many times, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. You say, well, that refers to essence. We'll get to that in just a minute. Right now, we're talking about the character and the heart of the Father. Why is that important for me to say to you today? Because some people have this misperception that you have an angry father and a loving son. Some people view it like that. They're like, well, you know, God's just grumpy, grumpy all the time. He's a big party pooper. He just, you know, wants to, he just wants to, make my life miserable, but then you have the son, and the son's compassionate, and the son's gracious, and the son is good, and he's kind, and he gets me. Like, he, I love Jesus because he gets me, and the father doesn't really get me. And you have this misperception. You have this misperception of, of the relationship between the father and the son. No, the father is as compassionate as the son is. And the Father is as loving as the Son is. And the Father is as tender towards you as the Son is because they are the same. And, and, and you know, some people, you know, they have this misperception of the relationship between the Son and the Father. So they go one step further and they're like, well, you know what? I know the Father's kind of angry and grumpy and the Son, he's kind of compassionate sometimes. But man, I'm really thankful for, for the, the mother of Jesus. I'm really thankful that I can go to mom I can go to mom because, you know what, if I can't get it with the father and I can't get it with the son, I can always go to the mom because, you know, Jesus will never not do what mom says. And so we have this, some people have this idea that, you know, they can go, they can take it one step further and, and go to Mary. And you know what, if they can secure the request with Mary, they, they know it'll be done because she is extra compassionate and she is extra merciful and then some people will take it a step further and say, well, if you can't get it with Mary, then go to the saints. Because, because you, can, you can ask the saints who will then ask Mary, and then Mary will ask the son, and the son will ask the father, right? And so in that train of intercession, it's bound to, you're bound to get what you want, right? You can start with the saint and then go to the mom, and the mom will ask the son, and the son will ask the father. And, and look, you have totally misperceived the way that it works, and you've misperceived the nature of the relationship between the father and son. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's no other mediator. 
You don't go to Mary for intercession. You don't go to saints for intercession. Hey, it's good to have brothers and sisters praying for you, but you're not praying to individuals who are respected and revered and dead and in heaven, hoping that somehow they're able to secure for you this need that you have. You have all that you need in your relationship with the Father and the Son. Not, not only was he eternally with God, he was eternally God. He was eternally God. So yes, same character and heart. Yes, same essence as the Father. Same essence as the Father. Now Gnosticism and Deceticism taught that the Logos was one step down from the ultimate God. And so the Logos wasn't really altogether God. And John just puts this to rest. And he says, no, the, the, the Word was God. The word was God. Now you might run into some well-meaning individuals that knock on your door with white shirts and a little badge that says elder. And you know, when you get to this point, you're talking about the sameness, the sameness of the father and the son, they will, they will draw a line. And they will say, no, the, the father and the son are the same. The son is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Right, that's a problem. Or you get some other people from the Watchtower Society, and they'll come, and, they'll, and, and, and you'll say, hey, well, let's open up my Bible. I believe that, that Jesus is, is God. Let me read to you from my Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they open up their Bible, and they say, well, wait a minute. That's not what my translation says. My translation says, and the Word was a God. And then you say, because this is what you're going to say, you say, you guys added that word. You added a word. You added a word that's not in the original language. And you created your own translation, a new world translation that is not historical translation of scripture and is not in congruence with the Greek manuscripts. You have changed the translation because you don't believe in the real Jesus and the one who is God. The Bible says in Colossians, and I'll just tell you right now, there are so many scriptures that talk about the deity of Jesus Christ from Old Testament to New Testament. In Colossians, the Bible says that in him that is in Christ dwelt the fullness of the Godhead and that bodily, right? The fullness of the Godhead. In other words, when we're talking about the deity of Jesus Christ, we're saying that, that the essence of the Son and the essence of the Father is exactly the same, it's exactly the same. Paul was writing to Titus, who was the pastor over the churches on the island of Crete, and he's talking about the believers there. And he's like, you know how this goes? God has separated for himself a very zealous, a very peculiar people who are all excited for good works. And not only that, he goes on to say in Titus 2.13, they're also looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like, let it be settled here, Jesus is God. You say, well, wait a minute, how can the Father be God, and how can the Son be God, and how can the Spirit be God? Well, the Bible teaches the triune Godhead, or the Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but it is absolutely, undeniably expressed throughout the Scripture. And as we go through this gospel account, I'm going to show you some of those places where you undeniably can see the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. 
The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in the Father, the perichoresis of Christ. Are you confused today? Look, it's a beautiful mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. They are all, in essence, God, but they are also unique persons. Thank God. Thank God. Identity authenticator number four, he is the creator. The Bible says in verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I, I gotta tell you, like, I love, the way, I love the way John does this. I mean, if it was me, because I'm like, nuts and bolts, bottom line, as few as words as possible, even though that never happens on Sunday morning. <laughs> It'd be like, hey, he made everything. But John's like, everything that was made was made through him. Oh, and by the way, and by the way, through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Just, just in case you don't get it. Just in case you don't get it. He is not created. Rather, he is the almighty creator. Jesus is the almighty creator. There is not a single thing in the visible, physical, material realm that you see that was not made by him. And there is nothing in the metaphysical, unseen realm that exists that was not made by him either. He has altogether made everything. And when you step back and you look at what he's made, man, when you step back and you look at what he's made, I mean, it says a lot about the sun, the agent of creation. It reminds us that he's powerful. It reminds us that he is concerned with infinite detail. I mean, just think about the infinite detail of creation. And that is an expression of who the sun is. I think about the macro aspect of the universe, you know, as with new telescopes, we're seeing galaxies collide together and black holes and, and you know, looking further into space than we ever have before. And the immensity of it just expresses to us how almighty he is as a creator. And then we grab an electron microscope, not that you can just grab an electron microscope, but you look at pictures and you're, you're looking down at the atomic level, the, just the infinite definition that he has created the universe with, the big things that we see, the small things that exist. I think about how creative he is. I sit in my backyard and I look at the various plants and trees and I'm like, man, Lord, you are so good. The beauty of your creation, how creative you are. We look at our three kids and they are so amazingly different and unique and all that is just a reflection of how creative the sun is. And then, of course, on those six days of creation and ever since, as he continues to create, he says it is good. It is good. You know, the physical world is not just going to burn because it's bad. It is going to be remade because it's good. But our takeaway in this point is this, that creative power is at work in your life today. It's one thing to step back and say, hey, theologically, I understand that he is the almighty creator. It's another thing to embrace that as you embrace who the real Jesus is. He is the almighty creator that is all-powerful in your life. Look, I don't know what issue you're dealing with or struggle that you're bearing or big obstacle that you need to overcome. I can tell you today that he can do it. I can tell you today that he can do it. Hey, if he can fling the universe into existence by simply speaking a word, he can handle your finances. He can handle your finances. He can handle the relationship struggles that you have. He can handle the obstacles that you're encountering at work 
Remember, when you believe in him, you're believing in the almighty maker of heaven and earth. He is... He is, he is concerned with in, infinite detail. You look at the detail of creation and you think, man, the, the level of detail in everything that he has made is overwhelming. It's extraordinary. Can I say to you today that every detail of your life matters to him too? Like he is he's molding and shaping as a master potter your life, which, which is like a vase, and he is doing it with infinite care, infinite care. He cares about everything that's going on in your life. Listen, if he, can, if he can make and shape plants and people and mountains and stars and nebula and galaxies with that type of detail, do you really think he's missed something in your life? Do you really think he's like surprised? Like you come to God in prayer and, and you're like, hey, I know, I know you're, you're busy, Lord, and you got a lot going on. You probably missed this. No, he didn't miss it. He didn't miss it. He hasn't missed anything. You're like, some of you are like, yeah, well, I've been single for a long time, Pastor. I've been single for a long, I feel pretty missed. I feel pretty missed right now. Miffed and missed. And I wanna say to you, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. He's got the big things, he's got the small things, he is creative and he can handle it. He can handle it, he is the creator. Identity authenticator number five, he's the source of all life. The Bible says in him was life and the life was the light of men. So, some people say, well, when John says light and life, he's talking about salvation. And really, that's what the extent of the book is. And it's an expression of how Christ brings light and life. And I say, listen, that's true. Most likely, we're talking about the moment of creation, though. We're not talking necessarily about salvation. On the moment of creation, he didn't just create a lifeless physical world. He created a world that was teeming with life, right? His light and his life was poured out in creation. It was total darkness, and then the word of God, the agent of creation, spoke, and from him was sourced all light and all life. Again, I love what D.A. Carson said about this. He said, the self-existing life of the word was so dispensed at creation that it became the light of the human race. And, and let me just... Take it a step further and say every time you see life, every time you see life, every time you have a, a baby puppy or a kitten. Thanks. I was just gonna say something snide about cats, but, but, but I won't. They're, they're cute when they're kittens. Every time, every time you, you, you plant, you plant, uh, you, you plant whatever you plant, I don't know what you plant here, you know? We got new plants in our backyard, and I look at it, I'm like, life, right? It's amazing. Every time you hold a newborn in your hands, you're experiencing the power of Christ that was demonstrated thousands of years ago when he spoke life. He import, imparted, he sourced light and life into all of creation, and you're experiencing that. You take a little seed, a plant seed, you place it on a table or you place it on the pulpit. It is no good until it's planted in the soil, and then all of that DNA that's inside that seed that was placed there by the Son of God, God, the agent of creation, germinates and it brings forth light. And it brings forth life. The final thing today is this. He conquered the darkness. The scripture says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Final thing I would say to you about him is that he conquered the darkness. True, he did this on the day of creation. As John hearkens our attention back to the book of Genesis, it was when he said, light be and light was, that darkness and light were separated. Possibly though, more so, John is talking about salvation. And now he's giving us this beautiful introduction and has this great anticipation of everything that's going to come in this book. As the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he invaded the domain of the devil and he could not be overcome. Light came into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome the light. The darkness could not overpower the light because it is impossible to overpower the Son of God. No wonder the demons feared him. No wonder the sick flocked to him. No wonder the sea obeyed him. No wonder the water turned to wine. No wonder Lazarus was raised from the dead. No wonder why the lame man walked, the Samaritan woman talked, Nicodemus was taught, and Thomas worshiped when he said, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God, and there is no one else like him. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you today for the Son. We thank you for this beautiful expression. God, this powerful prologue. We're grateful today for the true Jesus, for the real Jesus. We're thankful today that he is the eternal one. We're thankful today that he is the ultimate revelation of you. We're grateful today that he was eternally with you and he is in essence the same as you. We're grateful today that he is the creator we're mindful today that he is the source of light and life, and we give you praise today that he cannot be overpowered, that he cannot be overcome. And today we humbly submit and surrender and yield and trust and worship and praise. Today we humbly adore and honor and reverence our Savior, the Son of God, the Word that became flesh. Today, as our eyes are closed and as we're in this just holy moment today, maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Christ and just honestly, honestly today, you've maybe been in that spot where you've created a Jesus of your own making. And you, you've learned today. You've learned from the scriptures. There's no better place to go than to the word of God to learn about Jesus Christ, to hear from those who walked with him, to hear from those who knew him. And today what you've been thinking has been challenged. And today you've realized that Jesus is much more than you ever thought he was. And today the, the, the good news is this. God is speaking to you and God really is the one who's revealed this to you. And God sent the son so that you could encounter him and have a relationship with the father, to be restored to the father's love, to be adopted into the father's family, to live with God in right relationship, 
in communion, in oneness. In fact, that need that you've been bearing in your life for so long, that you've sought to be satisfied by this world, can only be satisfied by a relationship with the Father through the Son. Today, God is calling you. God's given this revelation to you for you to take a step of faith, for you to trust in the real Christ and to receive with him every good thing that he brings. And so this morning, if this is you and you want to take that step of faith and today you would say, I'm believing today in the real Jesus. I'm trusting in the Jesus of Scripture. I'm coming today and I'm confessing my sin and asking for forgiveness to have right relationship with God. This morning, if this is you, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting. Would you stretch your hand up high? You need to take this step of faith today. You need to believe. Raise your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. And I see your hand in the back. Thank you. Just stretch that hand up high today. God calls you to himself. I see your hand over here. He calls you to himself. Thank you in the back. Not because he's looking for your performance or your works. He calls you because he loves you. His eye has been on you. He's overseen your life with infinite detail. And today what has been missing in your life, he desires to fulfill. Is there anybody else? Raise your hand today. I see your hand in the back here in the center. I see your hand here in the center as well. If you can put your hands down. Oh, thank you, here in the front. I want to ask today also, just for the Christian, you know, we read these verses today, and, and, and maybe for you, maybe some of the sense of awe and wonder, some of the sense of the glory of Christ, just over the course of time, is it's dimmed in your life. And it's not, it's not that you don't believe in him, and it's not that you don't love him, and it's not that you don't go through the, the rituals of the church. But the truth is this, today you need that sense of awe and wonder restored. You need restored in your heart a sense of who you're really dealing with and who really does love you. You need the dry soil of your heart watered with the Spirit of God. You need a season of fruitfulness. You need to get off the wheel of performance and receive the love and the blessings of the Father. Now, I honestly can't think of a better way to start our series together, a series that's called to Encounter Jesus, than to just to give your life afresh and anew to Him. And so today, if this is you, would you raise your hand? Christian, you just need that work of the Spirit in your life. God bless you, and I see your hand in yours. It's awesome. So good, I see your hand over here on my left, thank you. And over here, I see your hand too, he's good. He never quits on us. For here on my left and here in the center and over here on my right, God bless all of you. He's present today to meet the need, the very specific need that you have. I see your hands. You can put your hands down. And Father, thank you today, God. Thank you for all of these, for each of these, because they matter to you. God, because you are the one doing a work. And God, you will bring to pass, as they put their faith in you, you will bring to pass 
the fullness of your desires in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For all of you who have raised your hands today, and I, I am going to ask you guys, listen, please just stay put, all right? God is not done. God is not done. doesn't really matter if pastor's done or not. God's not done. He's, he's working right now. And we need to respect what God is doing in people's lives. Today, if you raise your hand, God is speaking to you. He's spoken something very specific to you. You need to respond today. The raising of the hand is good. The stepping forward in faith is better. A concrete response. It's you saying, I believe in the real Jesus and I'm choosing to follow him. It's you saying, as a Christian, I need that spiritual renewal in my life. And so today we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song of worship. If you raise your hand, and there are many of you who raised your hands, we want you to stand up. Come on forward today. I want to lead you in a prayer because I'm not the mediator and Awake in Las Vegas isn't the mediator. And Mary is not the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. And today you need to come. You need to come to him. So stand up and make your way forward. I'm going to lead you guys in prayer today. Let's bow our heads to get together. And I just, I just want to say that today you are praying to the Father through faith in the Son. Today, we were led in a song today that talked about just raw authenticity. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide from the Father. He knows it all and he loves you. And today we are, we are pouring that out to him. We're believing in the true Jesus. And we're receiving every good thing. And let me tell you, there are so many good things he will do in your life. He will never give up. He will never give up on you. And so today I want to lead you in a very simple prayer and make this your prayer to him. You can, and I would encourage you to just pray these words to the Father out loud after me. Join me in prayer today. Father, today I believe in the Son. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. I believe he is God. I believe he's eternal. I believe he's the creator. I believe he's the lover of my soul. I receive your blessings, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your healing, and your love. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>